0: Hebrews chapter 1, verse 1, the first four verses, this is God's holy and authoritative word. Long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, He has spoken to us by His Son, whom He appointed the heir of all things through whom also he created the world. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. And he upholds the universe by the word of his power. After making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, having become as much superior to angels as the name he has inherited is more excellent than theirs. You may be seated. In the 1930s and 1940s, the English author J.R.R. R. Tolkien wrote his epic fantasy novel set in Middle Earth, The Lord of the Rings. When it was first published, some critics didn't know what to make of it since uh, long fantasy novels for adult readers wasn't really a thing at that time. In 1961, one critic wrote in the London Observer and predicted that the popularity of these, quote, dull, ill-written, childish books would soon fade into a merciful oblivion. That take has not aged well. Uh, The Lord of the Rings trilogy is estimated to have sold over 150 million copies, making it one of the most uh, successful works of literature of all time. What many of those readers don't know, however, is the way that the story beautifully and powerfully reveals the threefold offices of Christ as prophet, priest, and king. Now, Tolkien said that he does not like allegory, but he also said that his work is filled with Christian imagery and meaning. Philip Riken has a delightful little book called The Messiah Comes to Middle-Earth, images of Christ's threefold office in the Lord of the Rings. Philip Riken, The Messiah Comes to Middle-Earth, and he explains that all three of the main protagonists, heroes, in The Lord of the Rings are Christ figures, and each one echoes the offices of Christ. Gandalf, the prophet who just like the prophet Moses and the prophet Elisha, uses his staff to perform signs and wonders. He is a wise man who sees the future, who speaks truth. Gandalf the prophet, Frodo as priest, and of course, Aragorn as king. All three experience different forms of death and resurrection. All three are saviors who, through their self-sacrifice, help to save Middle-earth from the evil Sauron. Barry Gordon, in the 1960s, said Middle-earth is saved through the priestly self-sacrifice of the hobbit, Frodo, through the wisdom and guidance of Gandalf the wizard, and through the mastery of Aragorn, the heir of kings. Now, I realize you may or may not be a fan of the Lord of the Rings, but it is my firm conviction, and I say it on the authority of God's Word, that each one of us needs to grow in our knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And one of the best ways to do that is to understand the offices of Christ the threefold offices of Christ as taught in Holy Scripture. Throughout the Old Testament, over hundreds and hundreds of years, there were many prophets, priests, and kings. Each office had a distinct function that meets a very real need in our lives. Our need for guidance. Our need for righteousness. Our need for protection. And each office existed, as we will see, to point to a different aspect of the glory of the person and work of Jesus Christ. The author of Hebrews is concerned with our knowledge of Christ. And that is my concern as well, and the reason for this series. D.A. Carson, a leading Bible scholar in our day, says that after decades of teaching, and he has taught for decades, he says if there's one thing that he has learned, it is this. That students don't learn everything he teaches them. What they learn is what he's most excited about. And he says the church needs to be excited about the gospel. This is how we pass on our heritage. It does not work to assume the gospel and to make some other issue the thing that really captures your heart. Make that mistake, and the following generation is likely to lose the gospel altogether. I've seen it happen. My prayer is that God uses this Advent season to recenter Christ in our affections. Christ Himself. Not some cause or issue, not this or that area of concern, however important it may be. Christ must be the center. As a church we exist to treasure Christ. We don't want to be a church full of Christians who are grumbling our way through life or are mad at the world by the grace of God that's not who we are. Rather we want to be we want to be a church. We want to be a group of Christians who are marveling at the goodness and glory of Jesus Christ. This is who God has called us to be. And my concern is that for too many believers, our knowledge of Christ is far too shallow and superficial. We know enough to be saved, but not enough to be fully satisfied in Him. And this is why we are commanded in Scripture, 2 Peter 3.18 It's one of the most important commands in all of Scripture. It says, grow in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. I see that command as one of the great needs of the church in our day. And obedience to that one command, grow in knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Obedience to that one command will make all the difference in our lives. It is as we deepen our knowledge of Christ that we experience greater joy and delight in Christ. It is as we grow in our knowledge of Christ that we are given an unshakable hope, that we are given an unshakable comfort, that our faith, the assurance of our faith is bolstered and strengthened. It makes all the difference in the Christian life to be a people growing in our knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. The writer of Hebrews in chapter 12 puts it in terms of looking to Jesus. We must look to Jesus. We must grow in our knowledge of Christ. And one really, really important way, one essential way to do that is to consider and to know Christ in his offices. Stephen Wellam says this. The threefold office of Christ shows us the comprehensive nature of both sin's corruption and Christ's salvation. That's what you see in this threefold office. You see something of the comprehensive nature of sin's corruption, the devastation sin has wrought in the world and in our lives, and the glory and the riches and the comprehensive nature of Christ's salvation. Sin. What has sin done in our lives and in the world? Sin has ruined our knowledge of God So that we need a prophet. Sin has corrupted the righteousness of our desires and our deeds. We need a priest. And sin has ruined our submission and obedience to the Lord. For every one of us. And not only in our lives but in all the world. And so we need a king. We need a prophet, we need a priest, we need a king. And praise God, we also see in these offices not only the comprehensive devastation that sin has wrought in our lives, we also see the fullness and the glory of salvation. In Christ, we have a truthful prophet to deal with our ignorance. In Christ, we have a sacrificial priest To deal with our sin. In Christ we have a powerful and mighty king. To deal with all of our enemies. A prophet has been born. A priest has been born. A king has been born. Thomas Schreiner says we see in the introduction of Hebrews. These verses that we read. That Jesus is the prophet, priest and king. He is the prophet. For God's final word is spoken by him and in him. He is the priest by whom final cleansing of sins is accomplished. And he is the king who reigns at God's right hand. Today, we consider what it means that Christ, the true and better prophet, has come. A prophet is born. And the first point that every one of us must consider is this fact that God is a speaking God. Verse 1 says it plainly, God has spoken, and that is a reminder that God communicates with those He has made. He has made Himself plainly known in history. God is there, and He is not silent. He has spoken, and He has spoken, we are told, not just on occasion, but according to verse 1, Many times and in many ways recorded for us in God's word. He spoke by the prophets. So all of the Old Testament prophets, you encounter this in your Bible reading, from Moses to Malachi, in all of them, God was speaking. God was making himself known. God was revealing his will. What was the role of an Old Testament prophet? He was not just an agitator or a social reformer, although he was those things in part, the prophet was a messenger and a representative of God himself. The prophets saw things that others did not see, and they represented God to his people by speaking an authoritative word from the Lord. They represented God with their words and with the whole of their, their, their lives, their behavior, symbolic acts. You read the Old Testament account of the prophets, and they were sometimes quite odd in what they were doing. Jeremiah smashed a, a, a clay jar, and at one point he wore a large yoke. Ezekiel uh, shaved his head and beard, 130 burns, 130 strikes with the wind. Uh, to the sword, 130 scatters to the wind. All of this with his, this is Ezekiel doing this. Hosea is called to marry unfaithful Gomer, the prostitute. And in all of these things, God would have his prophets represent him or represent some truth and then communicate here is the truth that I am speaking, here is the truth that I am revealing. And do you know how people responded to the prophets? Oh, thank you, Mr. Prophet, for giving us the truth we so desperately need to hear in our ignorance and folly. No, not at all. They hated the prophets. They hated the prophets. The prophets were willing to declare unpopular truths, and they went against popular opinions. They said that people need to change the way that they are living. They said that people need to believe the truth and live for God alone. You're living for other things. You've set up other gods. The things you care about the most are not God, but yourself and other things. And they called on people to escape the divine judgment that is sure to come that we all deserve for our sins. This was not a popular message. And so they did what has been done throughout history. They were rejected. The prophet Jeremiah was imprisoned. The prophet Zechariah was killed. That leads to, second point, we are all truth-denying people. We're all truth-denying people. What I mean is that this is our natural condition. Even though what can be known about God is very plain, because He is a speaking God, It's plain through the world he has made, through the prophets he has sent. He has spoken and revealed himself through our consciences to each one of us. Though he is a plainly, clearly speaking God. Romans 1 says that we all, every one of us, suppress the truth. We suppress the truth and we exchanged the truth of God for a lie. That means we, and I'm saying we, this isn't you sinners. Every one of us walked this path. We, we lived for ourselves. We rejected the truth. And this is exactly what people are doing in the world today. We have made ourselves gods. We have appointed ourselves as those who are in control. We have said that we are the arbiters of what is true. We say that we determine reality. We live however we want to live. We say that you, whatever you believe is true for you. We have a new tolerance that means that we must never suggest that anyone else is wrong in their beliefs. All of it, all of it is a denial and rejection of the God who has made himself known. And the result is that the whole world is railing against the truth of God. This is the situation in the world today. Sometimes we go after things that are merely the symptoms. But the problem is man's view of God and how we relate to the truth of God. We have refused to believe his truth. We have refused to live according to his word. We have denied and rejected the truth and gone our own way, every one of us. And our need for a a prophet is what speaks to the ignorance and the folly and the blindness of humanity. Hear this, because this is an important qualifier. It doesn't mean that, that godless people are unintelligent in all things. Many unbelievers are brilliant and knowledgeable, far more knowledgeable than I am about many things. But... When it comes to the things of God, which are just a little important in life, when it comes to the knowledge of God and His salvation and the weight of eternity, we are all naturally in darkness. And this is why we need a prophet. This is why we need God to take initiative toward us and open our blind eyes. And this is why. To the glory and praise of his name. God in his great kindness. Has spoken a final word. And he did it at so great a cost to himself. He has spoken a word far greater than any word ever spoken before. He has made himself known. To all the world. He has spoken in history. Long ago. At many times and in many ways. God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. Verse 2. But. In these last days, He has spoken to us by His Son. God spoke first by the prophets, and He spoke finally by His Son, which leads to the third and last point. Christ is the final prophet. The speaking of God throughout history, the progressive Self-revelation of God and His plans for the world. That speaking has a culmination point. It culminates in His Son and is complete in His Son. This is the whole meaning of Christmas. Christmas is the celebration that a prophet is born. The eternal Son of God came into the world to make the Father known. The creator of all things came as creature so that, why did he do it? So that a world of truth denying sinners would come to truly know and enjoy and delight in God and in his truth. Jesus is the radiance of the glory of God, we are told, in verse 3, which means that He is God and that He came to reveal the Father's glory. And as you study His life, and each one of us must give ourselves to this, this study of the person and work of Jesus Christ, this central figure in all of history, all of His life is a revelation of the glory of God and the character, and the nature of God. If you want to know truth, look to Jesus. In his birth, he reveals that God loves sinners, that God takes initiative toward us, even taking initiative toward we who have committed cosmic treason against him, and have rebelled against the reason we were made. He takes initiative toward us. We cannot find God. We cannot work our way to God. But the glory of the incarnation, the glory of Christmas, is that God in His great love has come to us. And in His life, He reveals the holiness, the justice, the wisdom, the mercy of God on every page. His teaching ministry, He taught in parables. He taught beyond that. He spoke of His own kingship and the kingdom over which he reigns. All of it is a revelation from the final prophet of the truth of what really matters in this life. His seven sayings on the cross reveal the truth gloriously about his identity and his mission in the world. So that when he said, as he hung upon the cross in that moment, fighting for breath, fighting for you and me, when he said, Father, forgive them, What was he doing there? The prophet is revealing the heart of God to cleanse us and to forgive us no matter how we have sinned. When he said, today you will be with me in paradise, he revealed the mercy of God that gives us a future and a hope, a better future than we have dared to imagine. When he said, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He revealed the justice of a holy God who must punish sin precisely because He is good and holy and righteous. He is a holy God who crushed His Son in our place and for our sins. That's what's revealed in that moment when He said, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? We were the ones who should have been forsaken. We are the ones who deserve to be forsaken by God. Listen, the last thing you want from God is what you deserve. It's the last thing I want from God. We, we cry out for mercy because we know that we have all sinned against Him and that the wages of sin is death. Our whole problem is that we haven't understood the holiness of God and the seriousness of our sin. We think that sin is just these foibles and mistakes. The wrongs we do against others. No, it is is rebellion against God. And we have all been guilty of that. Christ came into the world so that he would be judged in our place. And so he endured the wrath of God that we deserve. John Stott says, divine love triumphed over divine wrath by divine self-sacrifice. He gave himself for us, and when he cried out, it is finished, upon that cross, he was declaring the victory of God. He was declaring the triumph of God over Satan, over death, over hell, in all of it, God has spoken by his son. And so here's Here's what we need to understand. If you want to know the truth, look to Jesus. Listen to Jesus. If you want to know why God created you, if you want to discover the sense of purpose and meaning that God intends for you, look to Jesus. If you... Want to know if God really loves you and cares for you. If you have questioned in your life, where is God? Look to Jesus. If you want to know who God is, look to Jesus. The eternal God. Listen, he has not left us in the dark. The light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. The eternal God has spoken and made himself known In Jesus Christ. Jesus not only teaches the word of God. He himself is the word of God. The word became flesh as the final prophet. That we might come to a true and sure knowledge of God. No one has ever seen God. But the son of God who is at the father's side. He has made him known. John 1.18. Do you remember... Do you remember what Jesus said to Philip, his disciple, in John 14? It's after Jesus says, I am the truth. What other religious leader, by the way, do you have talking that way? I am the truth. Philip says to Jesus, Lord, show us the Father. Do you remember what Jesus said? He said, you still don't know me? Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. God has spoken by His Son. Mark Jones says that Christ in His office of prophet imparts all true knowledge of God and enables us to receive it. So if you want to praise Christ in His prophetic work and exalt Him in His office of prophet, what is it that He does as prophet? He imparts all true knowledge of God and enables us to receive it. If you are a a skeptic when it comes to Christianity, first I am thrilled that you are here, thank you. If you you are a skeptic when it comes to Christianity, or if you doubt perhaps that we can ever really be sure about spiritual beliefs in general, you might say, how can we really know what God is like? I want to encourage you to, to apply that that gift of a God-given intellect and reason to the question, apply it to the question of the identity of Jesus. Give yourself to that consideration. Study his life and his teaching with an open mind. You will discover, as so many of us have, that it is a reasonable faith. Ask God to give you a true knowledge of himself. And if you are a Christian, who is inclined to doubts? perhaps some of you heard even what Adam Sachs shared earlier, and you resonate with that, either in the form of an unbelief or in a struggle with doubts. Maybe you're not the place where you say, I am a Christian, or I'm not a Christian, but you don't know. Or maybe you say, I am a Christian, but the doubts seem to be constant. It's important for you to know that you are not alone. We often experience doubts as even an aspect of our faith and throughout the Christian life, here's what I would encourage you to remember. One is that you are not alone. And also, I'd encourage you to remember that Jesus Christ himself is our prophet and teacher. Meaning, we are not following our own ideas and opinions. We are following a person. And because we are all in on Christ, because we have placed all of our faith in Christ, think about this, the only way for our faith to be misguided and mistaken is for Christ himself to be misguided and mistaken. And I don't have the faith or the nerve to dismiss and disparage the greatest and most influential prophet and teacher the world has ever known. Come to Christ, learn from him as prophet and teacher. He is a prophet who speaks to every circumstance and condition we face. To those who are wayward, to those who are currently not following God's will for your life, those who are not obeying his truth, Christ the prophet comes to you and says, my commands are for your good. Build your life upon the rock by hearing and doing my words. It may be that some, and perhaps it's those we prayed for earlier, who are struggling for hope in this season. And you are weak and you are weary. Be reminded today that you will not find a more tender teacher and a more patient prophet than what we have in the Lord Jesus Christ. There's a beautiful verse in Isaiah 50 verse 4. It's the voice of the servant and prophet who was to come. And Jesus himself says in that verse, it's speaking of him, the servant who would come. The Lord God has given me the tongue of those who are taught that I might know how to sustain with a word him who is weary. It is part of how he functions as a teacher and as a prophet that he sustains with a word him who is weary. And so in your weariness, in your refusal to be comforted, come to this prophet, come to this teacher And find rest and refreshment in him. You see it's not just that Christ was a prophet who taught during his earthly ministry. Christ continues his prophetic ministry today. As he teaches us through his word. Through the scriptures. And a church that embraces and treasures Christ as prophet. Will be shaped by this reality. That Christ himself is our teacher and prophet. What does that look like in a church What does it mean for us to be a people who say we will follow Christ, our prophet? Here's one big implication that is vitally important for the church of Christ today. It means that we hold fast to the word of God as the inspired, inerrant word of God. That we... Make our stake here. It means that we don't lean on our own understanding, but that we trust the word of God. It means that the church is a pillar of the truth and that we are willing to stand upon the truth even when it is unpopular. Which so much of the teaching of God's word is increasingly unpopular in our day and age. To follow Christ in his prophetic office means that we desire to be continually taught by him. Do you know what I find? The more that I study the Bible, the more I discover there is to learn. And the more I study of the glory of Christ and the more I study of the riches of this gospel, the more I discover there is to learn and to go deeper. And so following Christ as as prophet means we are always pressing on to grow in our knowledge of the truth. We read the Bible Throughout the week, we study it together. We sit under the preaching of God's word with an eagerness to be instructed in Christian doctrine and Christian living. And one more, to follow Christ as prophet means this. It means that we reach out to others because we are eager for them to know the joy of the truth that we, by the grace of God alone, have come to know. We want others to experience the joy of living for the reason they were made, with Christ at the center of their lives. In the past, God spoke in many ways through the prophets, but now He continues to be a speaking God, but now He has spoken by His Son. And we remember this Christmas that Jesus has come into the world as the best and the final word of God there is simply no greater word that can come than what God has spoken in the birth life death and resurrection of Jesus praise God that the Lord has triumphed over our truth denying hearts it is a wonder that any one of us is not going on living in lies and unbelief how is it that we have come to this place of believing the truth of standing in the truth The only explanation is that a prophet has been born. God spoke through his son and his son has broken in to our unbelief and has triumphed over every lie and has brought us to a knowledge of the gospel. He has brought us to the joy of knowing Jesus. We need every one of us. You may not know what your needs are, but this is, according to Scripture, your greatest needs. We need a prophetic, Gandalf-like word of truth. We need a priestly, Frodo-like self-sacrifice for sinners. And we need a kingly, Aragorn-like victor over our enemies. A prophet, a priest, a king has been born and Christ has met all our greatest needs. Stephen Welham says this, what a glorious savior he is. What a glorious savior he is. Truly in Christ alone, all our needs are met completely and perfectly. Do you believe that? Do you believe he's a glorious savior? Do you believe that all of your needs have been met completely and perfectly in this glorious savior? Weldham says our need for truth is found in him as the final prophet and revelation of God. Our need for a righteous standing before God is achieved by him as our priestly representative, substitute, and new covenant head. And third, our need to have our rebel hearts subdued, our enemies defeated, and the new creation inaugurated and consummated is accomplished by him alone as our conquering king. Christ's threefold office brings into focus the glory of his person and saving work. Oh, what a glorious savior we have in Jesus Christ. Who else can do what he has done? Who else can meet our need for truth? Who else can bring us holiness, a righteous standing before God? Who else can subdue our rebel hearts? Who else can defeat our enemies? Who else came to make his blessings flow far as the curse is found? Oh, friends, what a glorious Savior he is. And may we together experience the joy of knowing Jesus. May we experience the joy of growing in our knowledge of him. And may we trust him and treasure him and rejoice in him, our great prophet, priest, and king all the days of our lives. Amen.
1: It was my sophomore year in college. I still vividly remember the moment. I looked into the mirror in my dorm, and I I said it out loud, I am not a Christian. This was the culmination of a gut-wrenching search over several years, and I finally relented to the realization that I didn't and couldn't believe. This may seem dramatic, Now, but the faith that had defined me growing up had been overwhelmed by doubt to the point that I gave up trying to believe. My parents faithfully taught me the gospel and I responded in faith as a child. But philosophy classes had undermined the truths I once took for granted and fraternity life only reaffirmed a worldview with no regard for absolutes. James 1.6 says, The one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. And that's exactly how I felt. Rudderless, no oars, lost at sea, no idea if land even existed. My disorientation felt tragic because I concluded that if Jesus wasn't true, nothing was. There was no alternative that held real joy, just meaninglessness. So to say, I am not a Christian, took the wind out of me. And for another two years, I asked for signs, for some undeniable proof that would be enough for me to believe. The search was still on, but not in the way that I thought. The Good Shepherd was pursuing me. After graduation, I moved back to the Philly area and decided attending church should be part of the process. It was 1993 and I visited this church for the first time, entering a community center in Broomall that had seen better days, (laughs) and encountered an unusual group of people. These people were strangely enthusiastic about singing. They were disarmingly committed to one another. Their joy was overt enough to be questionable, (laughs) and it was all pretty uncomfortable. But it was compelling and I was drawn to this way of living that seemed to be the proper response to being saved if there were such a thing. My unbelief was not ready to give up the fight, but the Lord, the Lord is full of mercy and used, used people in this room to draw me back to himself. Brothers like Christian Lohman who showed me how to earnestly seek the Lord. David Bard, assuring me in a steady voice that God can be trusted in his word. Bill Patton, for the epistle that is your life. And your prayers for me in the summer of 1993 that God answered with an infilling of the Holy Spirit that provided undeniable assurance. Andy Farmer, Legendary singles pastor. (laughs) And faithful friend with wise and thoughtful counsel. Prophecies from Dan Welch and others showing me that God is real and cares about the details. And in a unique way, Steve Farley, who helped me grapple with the mystery of God. I would go to Steve and Bev's house weekly for dinner and Bible study in those early days. Steve could effortlessly quote philosophers, reference scientific theories, explain the unique role of Christ in history. Steve had the sharpest of minds, but his insights always brought him back to the person of Jesus. He could go from quoting Dostoevsky to reflecting on the scale of the cosmos, and then would suddenly start weeping over the love of Jesus. Steve showed me that there's plenty of good reason to put all your chips on Jesus, but when you come to the mystery of God, the best response is worship. And over the period of about a year, my doubts were simply overwhelmed by the spirit of God, the Word of God, and the witness of the people of God who lived as if it was all true. So who told me you did and you've continued to tell me about the gospel of grace for nearly 30 years. Christ is indeed the sure and steady anchor, and you, church family, have been the harbor where my faith was restored and has been strengthened and where his faith storms and stay the course. I am a Christian. This hope of ours is not in vain. Christ is indeed risen and is making all things new, and faith soon enough will be sight.